Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. So while you have your responsibility, I know to to the Lord and to your own family, but I want you to know, ladies, you have a purpose in life. Your purpose, your mission is to teach younger women. Now, there's a lot to answer with that phrase because there's a bunch of questions in there, and I'm going to help you through this passage. I think it'll answer enough of those questions that we'll feel like, hey, I can do that. I I, I can do that. So that's what's important. Now, I'm not done taking away other factors that you might have in your life, but that's your responsibility. Now, listen carefully when I say this. Older women, their responsibility is to teach the younger how to be good persons, partners, parents, and providers. So that gives you a lot of areas to work on. You younger ladies that are listening to me now, your responsibility is to listen and learn from them. Let me say that again. Listen and learn from them. Now, in order for you to listen and learn from them, it means that you have to develop a relationship with an older woman. Stop doing some of the things that you're doing that's really good so you have time to do that, which is really great. So you need to put yourself... Then when you do, you need to listen when they're speaking more especially when they're helping you in the biblical area as a person, partner, parent, or provider. Listen, learn from them. Spend time with them. Realize that while their job is to teach you, it's assumed that your job is to learn. So while it doesn't say in here, younger women learn from the older people, why would God say the older women are supposed to teach if if it doesn't come with the, uh, the, the right shoe or the left shoe that you're supposed to learn? So maybe from you, the very younger ladies in here, which you'll be learning what you're going to be taught in a moment here, your first step is saying, Lord, I want to do this. This is a mission. Their mission is to teach me. My mission is to learn from them. Lord, help me now to make my schedule amenable to their schedule. Lord, guide that woman. Train that woman who's going to train me how to train me, how to lead me, how to teach me to do this. So, Lord, I'm bathing. I'm soaking this whole adventure in prayer, knowing that it's not to take away my fun, it's to release me to celebrate the very life that you want for me. So it's a real positive step as you look through this. So younger women, I I really want to encourage you. I've been in this church two years now, Carol and I have been, and this church is loaded with a boatload of women who are walking with the Lord. Some of them might need to have some special training on redesigning what they teach, not who they teach, what they teach and how they teach younger women. But at the same time, they are there for you. You have a plethora of folks that you can lean on. There's no one's perfect. Doesn't always have to be the personality, connection, chemistry, but they're there. God has really blessed you with that. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, where are the girls learning most of that? That's a conversation to have when you go home. Where are the young ladies of today learning how to be godly or just to say persons, partners, parents, and providers? I think most of them are learning from every part of culture they can. They can learn it on the view. They can learn it on the talk. They can learn it on the chew. I think there's a program out that now. They got one, uh, maybe, I don't know, called the Squawk Box. Whatever it might be, they're being mainlined through their literature, through their DVDs, through YouTube, through Facebook, through what they're hearing in the girls' locker room, 
how to live their life. That's what they're getting out there. And the older women, uh, they're struggling with that. But I would like to encourage you, young, you older women to remind them of the commitment that they need to make. Younger women today are taught, if you're not happy or satisfied with that old goat of a husband, just leave him. And here's the big phrase they use. After all, you, you have the right to be happy and don't let anybody take it away from him. And you go after that happiness no matter what. That's what they're taught. They're not taught that it's not your love that sustains your commitment. It's your commitment that sustains your love. That's going to keep you going. I've committed to the Lord, to this vow, to this person. It would be nice if some of you older women had the opportunity to go to the younger women and share some of your problems with them and say something like this. I know you're going through some really tough times, but obviously I have gone through more and bigger than you have only because, only because I am older than you and I've made it. I rejoice in the Lord. I have rest with God. I feel I have purpose in life, and I didn't have to abandon his values to get it. The world says if the pregnancy is unplanned, then simply destroy the evidence. The older spiritual woman might respond, the circumstances which surround pregnancy do not determine the value of that child. It still needs a mother who's going to eke out whatever they can to help that child. Another older spiritual mother could say, I too experienced an unplanned pregnancy. Now let me tell you that with that pregnancy, what it has done for my life in a positive way, every new day is a new adventure as I experience God's goodness to help me by not getting rid of this child. Now I'm not putting anyone on a guilt trip. I'm just saying we need ladies that will stand up and speak up for the glory of God and use your life as a life message if you have the Lord leading your life. I know of one mother who had a, had a child, a very healthy child, and then she had multiple pregnancies afterwards that were all a bunch of miscarriages for years, some 15 years of these. And the one child was 15 years old. And the doctor says, if you get pregnant again, you or that child is likely to die. She didn't heed the doctor, but continued trying to have children. And almost a month later, found out she was pregnant. That child came full term, was healthy, lived a healthy childhood, a healthy teen years, healthy college years, grew up to be a healthy contributor, perhaps, to society. In fact, he's in Orlando today preaching to you today. Fifteen months later, a little girl came out leading a very healthy, productive, spiritual life in San Antonio, Texas. It can be done. You need to know my mom wasn't even saved during all of that. It was a matter of conviction of right and wrong, life and death. So I want you folks to know, ladies especially, that you have a mission in life. Now those of you that say, I'm already past this, I'm too old, I will not get married again, won't have any children again, I, I, I can't do it to my own kids. Look up here, lean into what I'm about to say. There are so many neglected, rejected children and young girls today that you can rise up and come alongside and become the mother that they do not have now to help them out for Christ. 
you can still fulfill a mission in life that God has for you. So let me encourage you. Now, you older women, when you hear that term older, you might be saying, ooh, I don't like that word old. Oh, I don't want to ever think that I'm an old lady. Well, first of all, you might want to thank God for every year that you have that you're alive today because some have not been allowed to live as long as you have. Do you agree with that? So I can thank God for another day that I could serve Him until I'm in heaven. But technically, I think older women probably began at probably 40 in Scripture. And this is all Ponzism, so I'm not going to go to the... I'm not even going to spill blood over it. I'm not even going to fuss over it. I think they're about 40. I think if I wanted to make more biblical case, I think age 60 is when they were taken in the number in 1 Timothy. That all being said, so somewhere starting at 40 and on up, you might be considered uh, an older woman. Now, again, I don't want to parse this out too much, but I think that whatever age you are, you then look to the women who are younger than you and begin to mentor and disciple and to help them in their early walk with God. So no matter where you are on this, to work with other people. You who are older, who are willing to admit that God has given you this amount of life and you're grateful for it and you're going to use every moment of that life for the rest of your life to glorify Him, accepting your mission as an older woman, go at it, gals. Go at it, gals. And now I want to speak to those of you that are so weak right now. You're, you're at that season of life where that it's, it's hard to even get up to get dressed. I want you to know, ladies, and men, you can kind of listen because it works for us too. As you're in that last season of life and you're walking those last days, weeks, months, maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, two years, as you're walking that path, you might not be able to mentor is what we're going to teach you this morning what to do, but you can model, what, well, here it is, how to die, how to go to heaven with dignity, faith, peace, and joy. You are walking a path that other women will walk sooner or later. And you can still be the model of the fullness of God in your life as you do that. You have a mission. I hope that you really accept that mission for the glory of God. All right. Why should I do this? In other words, if I want to accept this mission as a woman, why should I do this? So let's go to number two. We need to go to the end of our passage, the very end of verse 5, and it's to examine your motive. I need to examine my motive. Why would I want to accept this mission of being a godly older woman who will teach younger women. Why will I want to do that? Let's read it. It says, So that the Word of God will not be dishonored. That's very important. The reason I put so that, it's in other words, I do all of this for a greater reason. It's not about me being a good girl. I'm finally finding my mission in life. My biggest deal is if I don't do this, then it's possible that people will dishonor the Word of God. And so I'm doing this so that I won't dishonor the Word of God. I'm doing what God wants me to do. So it's more than just a suggestion from my pastor today. It is something that I absolutely need to do so that the Word of God is not dishonored. Now, that's the New American, dishonor. That's not a bad term, but actually it's a word that we get our word blaspheme. And that's why in some versions they say blaspheme. Now, that's a word we never use today. But the word blaspheme means to evilly speak against something. So here it would be so that the Word of God is not evilly spoken against. And I'm wondering today if there's a lot of pushback against God and Christianity and the Word of God is because Christian women did not take the stand or accept their mission to teach younger women what we're going to learn about in just a few moments here. And so now you have a real reason to do this. 
So you're doing it so that the word of God is not blasphemed. Now let me pull back you from some over or unrealistic expectations. You can choose to accept your mission to teach younger women. You can pray, you can pour your heart into them, you can do everything you can. But if they choose for whatever their reason is not to listen and learn from you, if they don't listen and learn, it's not all on you. Don't beat yourself up. You can't make them drink. Although I hope that you will salt what you're saying to make them thirsty enough to want to. I hope your life is salty enough to make them thirsty enough to want what you have that they don't have. So we have to examine our motives. Why are we really doing this? And I pray it's to bring ultimate glory and honor unto the Lord because we do not want His Word at all blasphemed, dishonored, disrespected, put down, not believed, let alone obeyed. All right, that's your motive. Let's go to number three. We need to spend a little bit more time on number three. The first is to accept my mission. Second is to examine my motive. Why am I going to do this? And then number three is model a godly manner of life. Model a godly manner of life. Now this is a very neat passage. There are primarily four big truths in this passage. So you ladies are saying, okay, what am I to model? What am I supposed to be doing now? There are four of them here predominantly. Let's look at them. It starts out with Older women, likewise, are to be. That's why you model this. You can't necessarily teach this, but you're now being this. Now look up here for just a moment. <clears throat> when you're teaching truth, it's more easy for them to receive the truth if they believe the truth works. And so that's why you are doing this. You are being this. You're becoming this. This is who you are. And when you are that, then you will have more respectability. They're now going to trust what you say because they see it in your life, and it's in your life because of the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's in your life with joy. So now you're being this or becoming this in your life as you get ready now to teach it to the other women. So while you're working on them, you want to make sure that you are right with the Lord. So that's why it says here, reverent in their behavior. All right, You pretty much know what the word reverent means there. It means godly, etc. That's important. But I wanted you to see the thought of behavior now. It's only used here, that one particular word in the New Testament, and it has an interesting root. When you really go a deep dive on this, it actually comes from a phrase that refers to priest-likeness. Not so much godlikeness, but priest-likeness. And that makes a lot of sense too because a lot of these were Jewish people in there as well. And so you take it back to the Old Testament... Think with me for a moment. The priest would go into the special place of the tabernacle in the temple. They were lighting all of this stuff. It all had a wonderful aroma with it. And when they did, the longer they were there, they would then come out. And what would follow them out of the temple would be this wonderful aroma of them worshiping and sacrificing to God. So when those priests walked by, be wow. Let me put it into Frank. Have you ever been to the mall and you walk by one of those uh, soap stores? You know, wow, that smells good. Wish my house smelled like that, you know. And then you walk by a candle shop, that really smells good. Can you imagine who works in those stores, how that's all on them? So for the rest of the day or the weekend, they smell like that soap or they smell like those candles because it's on them. So we have such a reverent, holy, like a priest would, that the aroma and the flavor and the wonderful wafting of the glory of God is in our behavior that they can almost experience it as we walk by. We're that connected to the Lord, reverent in our behavior. There's a fragrance that's coming out of us. So that's number one. 
So we move to the next, and it says, uh, not malicious gossips. This one is a pretty important one here. When it says not malicious gossip, it actually means literally slanderers. Not, they're not talking about idle chatter folks here. That's not the phrase. Not, that you're not idle chatters, you know, kind of surfacey conversations, but they're actually lies. This word is used 34 times in the New Testament, and it's most describing Satan. It actually has the idea that it's satanic, a deceiver and a liar. And when it's talking about here malicious gossip, it's talking about you are communicating lies and deception. In fact, let me say it another way. This is going to be a little harsh, so I'm going to try to say it as loving as I can. It's another form of murder. Because what you're killing is another person's reputation and testimony. It could be so malicious that you know what you're doing, you want to do it, you're hoping that you'll get the end result of that, that that person or other people will disrespect that person in your life so much so that you either will look good or maybe show to the world how smart you are or could get ahead. In other words, you're trampling on these other people and you're doing it by the words that you say because you're disrespecting them and people are not now following them because you want them to follow you. Isn't that satanically done? Absolutely. So now you have that. They're murdering another person's reputation. And it tells the teacher that you would be reverent and that you would not have malicious gossip in your life. And you wonder maybe why some people don't follow you, ladies, is because they don't want to be around you because they're so afraid the more you know about them, that person, you may share that with someone else because you just got loose lips that sink relationships. Okay? And I'm going to tell you, there's been relationships that have been shattered by gossip. There's been businesses shattered by a gossiper. There have been teams shattered by a gossiper. There have been churches shattered by a gossiper who has taken someone, give a half-truth about it, speak it as truth, but because they're respected, others believe the assumption that was made, the assumption now becomes truth, the truth really isn't the truth, but the assumption now becomes the truth, and now you've got a full breakdown of that other person. So it talks about if you're going to teach the younger women that you are not a malicious gossiper. It's really important. And guys, we need to lean in this as well. Number three, those of us who are, or those of you ladies who are going to teach us, not enslaved to much wine. Now, you might be thinking of the social drinker. Okay, I, I get all of that. But let, let's go back to those days. In those days, <clears throat> the recipe for wine, as many Bible teachers teach, um, believe that it was a, a, a lighter recipe than what we have today. So that's why it says don't drink too much wine, because if you drank the lighter recipe of those days, the more you drank even of the lighter one, it will have an effect on you. And so it says don't do that. Now you take today's recipe, and you can imagine where that could go of how much wine. So I'm not here speaking for or against wine. I am speaking here, watch this, the effect that wine will have on you based on the amount and the kind of recipe of wine that you take. And all that says that when wine is affecting you, that's why it says don't be drunk with wine, is it's affecting your thinking, it affect, and your thinking will affect your emotions. Your emotions now will affect your, your behavior. It will affect what you say. So in other words, it is going to so um, um, mess you up kind of a thing, ladies, when you have some of that alcohol in you, that your effectiveness of fulfilling your mission in life is destroyed. And so now let's move it away from wine, and I'm going to culturalize it today. I know I'm making an exegetical step out of the context, but I think it's something worth talking about. If wine will affect you negatively, 
Now again, it does say to take wine for your stomach sake. All that was a medicinal reason. I get all of that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not discounting any of that value. It would be like saying today that if I take opiates, if I take opium, if I take all sorts of stuff that at one time was medicinal for me, but now it goes to seed because now I'm not taking uh, a little, I'm taking too much, whatever that is, it is affecting me. So it's not anti-medicine, it's anti-over-medicating. So now what's happening, you're having uh, crutches in your life that's affecting you so negatively. And be very careful because when you start taking that, it goes from it helps you to begin. And then you go over the line. If it's helping you, now becomes a slippery slope. And let me say the slippery slope isn't a very thin slope. It's a major drop off. Boom. And so it's going to affect you. It's going to affect your mission in life. So you want to, why am I here? It's take what God is doing in your life. And now come alongside of the ladies. All right, number four. It says, teach what is good. So that goes back to what we've been saying already. Older women teach younger women. Teach what is good. Now we're going to end with number four, and that is, all right, what's my message? What am I to teach? If that's what I'm supposed to do, what am I, how am I to be? And then now what am I to do? I'm to communicate my message. And my message should be very biblical. My message should be supported with Scripture. My message is, is not my message. I'm just a, a kind of a, how can I say I'm a... I'm a mouthpiece for God here, and I'm letting the Word of God share it with them. So what would I do? And there's a number of things, if you're wanting to know, what are the basic truths that I need to teach these younger women? Now, I mean, come back up here for air just a little bit. Um, just to hammer again, the younger women that are listening to me today, I'm very grateful that you would be in church. There is a special experience for you younger gals to be here around the body, life that we have here, to hear it from the pulpit ministry, God's Word. But I want you to know your primary teacher for these areas that we're going to talk about needs to be an older woman. I'm going to support the older women by teaching this, but the primary instructor should be an older woman in your life. Now, let me ask and answer the question. None of these tell you older women to teach younger women about doctrine. Now, doesn't that sound weird? Because I'm, I, I teach doctrine. I believe doctrine. I have a 15-page personal doctrinal statement. If you want it, ask for it. I'll give it to you. All right, all that being said, it doesn't tell the older women to dump doctrine on the younger women. That doesn't mean we abandon sound doctrine. We don't build the teaching on sound doctrine. We've already studied that when I began. Now the responsibility is, what do I teach them? And I'm only giving you what Paul told Titus. This is what you're supposed to teach the older women to teach. So take it up with them. Here we go. Number one. So that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. And again it ends with, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. All right, you got that now. Let's go back to this passage. I want to show you some beginnings here. Where it says, so that, you do all of this. In other words, you live the life so that the younger women may be encouraged, or you may encourage the younger women. That word encourage there is a unique word because that that word itself means to train them. So it is teaching them information, but it's also showing them how to live out that information. That's the training part. So when you see the word encourage, it's more than just a pat on the back or a nice little note. It's you're actually showing them. When they fail, you show them how they maybe misstepped and then lovingly 
put them back on the path again and show them again. It's like little girls teaching them, and I'm not marginalizing all the girls here, but, but the little girls, you're teaching them how to bake. You know, they might burn the cookies the first time, so you show them how to do it the next time, etc. So you're training while you're teaching. So I want you to see the teaching and the training are two separate words that are used in the context of what older women do to younger women. All right, then it says the young women to do what? Here it is. The first one is to love their husbands. To love their husbands. Now, when I looked at that word there, the word love there is not the word agape, love them unconditionally. That's probably other teachings that we can have. I, I get that. But right now it talks about love them. And here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say teach the younger women how to love their husbands. It says teach, their, teach the younger women to love their husbands. Now, go back with me in time, 2,000 years. Today, we fall in love and then we get married. In the Bible days, it was... The marriages are arranged, you get married, and then you figure out how to fall in love with the guy. Are you you following me? All right. So if you look at those days, those women had nothing but mostly bad examples of men. And so here it's not five ways to love your husband. You know, it's more like you need to love your husband. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear. 